welcome to On the Ground. My name is Ben, and I'm joined again by Alex. We are pastors at the Gathering Church in Peterborough, and this podcast is primarily for its members. Uh, we are minus Rylan, but Alex, at least you're here, so that's something. Yeah, that, that's something. <laughs> we are embarking on part duh of our two-part series on the Christian and work. Al, we got through three questions last week, mm-hmm. last time. Yeah. That is unacceptable. Yeah. So you need to talk faster this time. Okay. Uh, we left off last time affirming a few things. First of all, that all Christians have the opportunity to honor God and love their neighbor in whatever job they happen to find themselves in, even if they don't always perceive it uh, directly as a life calling. Uh, we also uh, suggested that there is more to life than the pursuit of self-actualization in a career. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the same note, we also affirm that the pursuit of a vocation that aligns with one's skills and interests is a noble endeavor. Mm-hmm. Um, we hold both of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just reading, there's a quote from uh, the Princeton theologian, uh, J. Gresham Machen. I thought I'd just... Uh, say it here. I thought it had some good insight into what we were talking about. But can it's, I, before you do that? Yes. If you, I didn't know you were going to quote him, but if you're going to quote him, we just have to prepare listeners that everything after that quote will be right, well below the standard right. of that quote. Yeah. So, so thanks for throwing me through the wolves there. <laughs> Go All right. Okay. Uh, so it goes, if Christians are going to influence the world with the truth of God's word, they must recover the great Reformation doctrine of vocation. Christians are called to God's service not only in church professions, but also in every secular calling. The task of restoring truth to the culture depends largely on our laypeople. To bring back truth on a practical level, the church must encourage Christians to be not merely consumers of culture, but makers of culture. Mm The church needs to cultivate Christian artists, musicians, novelists, filmmakers, journalists, attorneys, teachers, scientists, business business executives, and the like, teaching its lay people the sense in which every secular vocation, including, above all, the callings of husband, wife, and parent, is a sphere of Christian ministry, a way of serving God and neighbor that is grounded in God's truth. Christian lay people must be encouraged to be leaders in their fields rather than eager to please followers, working from the assumptions of their biblical worldview, not the vapid cliches of pop culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was a good word mm-hmm. from a long dead godly man. So on the subject of vocation, um, I wanted to talk a bit uh, about uh, just one often gets the impression that the stay at home uh, slash educator, homemaker mom is perceived as kind of a separate pursuit from vocation. Uh, that if she devotes her life to these kinds of things, she is uh, maybe in a way not living up to her potential. Um, is that true? Uh, why do you think the perception exists if it's not? Right. Well, as Christians, we would obviously say that's not true. Yeah, it's kind and, of a loaded question. Yeah, it's kind of a yeah, and obviously the first part of the response would have to do with last week's discussion on vocation. Mm-hmm. And so part of it um, is just a narrow view of vocation. So uh, a view of vocation that limits it to 
uh, a particular job or several particular jobs. It, it just can't encompass um, any and all labor. And uh, jobs usually that are public, uh, prestigious, you know, have the praise of people. Uh, you make a lot of money. Mm. You have the opportunity for power as, as conceived by the world. So being a stay-at-home mom is a private, largely overlooked endeavor. Mm. And so, you know, based on the present concept of vocation, that's just that's just a waste of time as you say a waste of potential but christians want to say no any and all labor can be a vocation if done to the glory of god and the service of other people Um, so that's the first thing but i think that's kind of just a general answer so there's i think there's particular reasons why at this time in history that particular job um, vocation faces a lot of scrutiny uh, just a couple observations, but this is by no means, you know, I, I don't know all of the reasons that is the case, but here's a couple things I thought of. One is a patronizing narrow-mindedness that has led to the reaction of a patronizing narrow-mindedness. And what I mean by that is if people have in the past um, spoken dismissively or patronizingly about women in the home, which has happened, mm. It shouldn't come as a surprise that everyone tends to look on the vocation with suspicion. Um, The lie uh, is that being a stay-at-home mom is an inferior position, and that's that's wrong. And and perhaps in the past there's been that view um, that's kind of just dismissive of. But what, what has happened, and I don't know the timeline of this, but people in rejecting that lie to say, no, you shouldn't be patronizing, you shouldn't dismiss your labor, in kind of an ironic way, have, have done the exact same thing. So a feminist movement to say, no, we need to uh, see that a woman can have meaningful labor outside of the home, which, which is not wrong and on face value. Um, often turns around and with the same kind of accusing finger points at the home as an inferior position. In other words, some some men in the past may say, you know, speak dismissively or patronizingly of women in the home. And then you have women responding with, instead of valuing that position and restoring it to its dignity, saying, you're right, and kind of buying that idea. Right. Right. And saying you can't, we can't stay at home because that's inferior, mm-hmm. and and ironically, kind of buying an anti-woman presupposition, and uh, so I think that's at least part of what's going on. Because I don't know if this is true forever. Maybe you can weigh in on this, but I don't see today a lot of men uh, uh, being so critical of stay-at-home moms. I'm not saying there aren't men who are, but I see way more women and women feel way more pressure from women regarding whether they should or shouldn't be Mm -hmm. at home. Mm -hmm. That that it's been my experience in the last 20 years. It hasn't been men leading the discussion saying where should, you know, what is a dignified role for a woman? It's been women leading that discussion. That's often what the rhetoric is couched in, though, that it's men leading right. the charge on that. Right. Yeah. But and, that's and, just not... And maybe somewhere it is, but that yeah, hasn't sure. been my experience. Right. I haven't read 
anything to suggest that mm. I, I don't go on social media. I don't read the news. I haven't in my, you know, schooling and education, right. I just haven't come across men speaking to. It's, uh, it's perhaps more convenient just to kind of demonize uh, yeah. and present yeah. a united front when there's disagreement from within. Exactly. Yeah. So when we're going back to your question, speaking of, you know, why is, why is uh, the traditional role of um, a mother and a wife and someone educating their children at home, why is that kind of looked down upon or not seen as a vocation? I, I think a lot of that is coming from women. And I can only suspect at least part of it is buying the lie that you should be resisting buying the dismissive patronizing lie that that's not a position of value. Um, so I think that's part of, part of what's going on. Mm. Um, I think plainly as well, uh, for men and women, and this is this men and women, this is just a human thing. We just do resist the image of God in people. We just don't in our sinful and rebellious state, um, what happens is that where we see the image of God, uh, when we see the glory of God reflected through his people, when we see people displaying what he's like and how we ought to live and reflect that glory, in our sinfulness, we just resist that. And when we read through scripture, we see that a huge part um, of the image of God in women is relating to their service uh we would say within the home. I don't necessarily mean within the four walls of the home, so to speak, but a unique and primary burden of responsibility, for example, for their children. Um, and we would say that this isn't just a product of a, you know, the patriarchy or, or, you know, our culture, that this is something deeply embedded in who women are. If that's the case, if there is some connection between women and their primary care for children, for example, um, it would make sense biblically that that would be the exact point at which we would react against. Mm -hmm. And so while I, while I kind of began by saying, look, definitely um, men have spoken ill against women, men have patronized women and dismissed them and, and, you know, part of it could be a reaction against that. Uh, there's certainly also just a despising of God's image in women. Right. I think there's, there's, I think both of those are very true. There's also been some unhelpful caricatures, certainly in the last 100 years, uh, even in the 50s, where, um, you know, the woman stayed at home and, and her job was mainly, uh, mainly a, a cleaner and uh, a food preparer. But that yeah. was kind of where it stopped. And there yeah. was this very, not even a, a biblical image of, of what it meant to to stay at home. But the idea of a robust, um, hearty, you know, pursuing uh, a, a rich life and reading books. And I, I think there's been those perhaps unhelpful caricatures that mm. uh, may have provoked a reaction. Mm. And those were wrong too. Yes. Uh, we are not saying let's go back to the good old fifties, mm. mm. you know, with the hair rollers and mm. everything. Um, and that's what I meant by the first yes. category of a dismissiveness or a patronizingness or a limiting to 
um, a dehumanizing of a woman. Right. And we want to go back way farther yes. than that, right to the biblical. Yes. What does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to be a man? Uh, yeah. We're not going back to a golden age no. uh, necessarily. Um, yeah. yeah. Yes. 100%. And when we go back and when we look at what does it mean to be a man and a woman? I'm, well, I mean, there's so much. We could do a whole podcast on this. We'll probably mm, yeah. we'll stick to the vocation. Yeah. But just the idea that a woman is a distinct uh, person, is, is womanhood is a thing. Yeah. And manhood is a real thing mm-hmm. that, that uh, you know, today the whole, the cool thing to do now is to say that gender binary expressions and ideas are just totally socially constructed. That's right, yeah. And so... You know, we can't only talk about, you know, uh, a woman in the home as a mother and a wife. It's just, it's just weird to even be having that discussion today. Mm. So that that would lead us down a whole other path. Yeah. But there's many reasons why it's just looked down upon. To summarize, Christians want to say, look, wherever you find yourself, that could be a vocation to the glory of God. For a woman, if you are a stay-at-home um, mother that you can certainly do that and have a meaningful, purposeful vocation to the glory of God. And that we need to, as Christians, resist any attempt to narrow-mindedly, um, you know, dismiss any labor as as being something we can't glorify God in. Mm-hmm. And today, certainly, that's within the home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's move on. Uh, as we attempt to get through more than three questions. Uh, so people working eight, 10, 12, perhaps more hour days, um, moms, dads, students, uh, balloon people, uh, is it possible for <laughs> these, these people to have a joyful Christian walk or is the week a write off until we get to the weekend? Um, so maybe if we just kind of put a pause button uh, on Monday while we just get her done at work and then push play when we get to Friday. And, and that's where the real living starts in the weekend, right? That's when we pick mm-hmm. up the Bible again. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, so is it possible to have a, a rich um, walk with God even when the days are just packed? Mm-hmm. Yes. And the Bible speaks clearly to that. We'll look at that in Colossians 3, um, 22 to 25 is a good example that I want to go to. But, you know, the question of what will happen if we live like this, if we live as though basically, you know, the 8 to 6 or 9 to 5 or whatever it is that we work during the week, the 40, 50 hours that we work, um, if we can't do that with joy, then most of our life will be joyless. Because most of our life is what we do in those hours. And so we just need to think, you know, how do we have joy in the vast majority of our life? Or are we saying really a small portion? Right. Because everybody's just working for the weekend. Exactly. A lot of people are. A lot of people are. And that's why, you know, there's such a huge push to retire early. Yeah. And, and then you people, can really start living life. Exactly. Right now. That's when life really yes. starts. But that's such a narrow view of human existence. Right. And it's understandable if you don't see the point 
of your labor, which most people don't. Mm -hmm. It's totally consistent to say, I just can't wait to get past this. Yeah. And even your labor becomes the pers the pursuit of getting past it. Yeah. Yeah. Not finding enjoyment in it, right. not finding purpose in it. Yeah. It's it's purely a means, means to an end. Yeah. To the end. But the Bible presents a, such a more hopeful, helpful picture. And mm -hmm. I think of Paul's letter to Colossians, Colossians three twenty two. He says, "Bond servants, you know, which essentially are slaves, not as we think today, but bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord." Then he says, addressing those bond servants. Whatever you do, work heartily. Or as other translations say, work with your whole heart. As for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he's done and there is no partiality. Whatever you do, work with all your heart as for the Lord and not with men, not for men. So there's several motivations he said he gives in order to help us do that. Mm -hmm. But but first, before we get to those, we need to acknowledge Paul's essentially saying, um, work with joy in all that you do. Don't just begrudgingly do it. He says, don't not by the way of eye service as people pleasers. Don't be fake about it. Like genuinely pour yourself into what you do and do it in such a way that reflects the fact that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, which is way different than what you're doing right now is pointless and meaningless and wait till you get to Friday or yeah. wait till you get to retirement. Yeah. So a couple motivations he gives, and this is where it gets practical for Christians. How do I go to work tomorrow and work with my whole heart when I hate it? Ultimately, he says, we work for Jesus. This is somewhat of a paradox in this passage. Our work, which is for men, you know, we go out and we work every day and the service or the commission of other people for them must be done with our whole heart. And yet we do this for men by recognizing that we don't ultimately work for men, mm. but for the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I think this means is, is and I'll go to other scriptures to show this, we don't ultimately work for their approval their recognition, or their praise. So to say that you need to go to work tomorrow, work for men or women or human beings as, as wholeheartedly as you can, and do it in a way that, that shows you don't work for them, means do it in a way that you are not, your ultimate motivation is not their approval, their recognition, or their praise. And the reason I think that's what he means is I go to Jesus' words in Matthew 6. And he talks about um, doing things for the praise of people or the praise of God. Matthew 6, 1 to 5, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for you will have no reward from your Father. So if you do things and the motivation is to be seen by them, that they look at you and they say, wow, that's a great person, and that's your ultimate reason, then that is your reward. And there's nothing else coming to you. So when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. 
Truly I say to you, they have no, they have received their reward. So the problem with this person is they are seeking the praise from men. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. But when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, <clears throat> that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So the problem with these hypocrites is they're doing things motivated not by the reward and the praise that comes from God, but the reward of the praise that comes from men. And ultimately, um, that's a dead end. Because the praise that comes from men, one, it never satisfies. It's never enough. You're always seeking more or you're always being let down. So how do I go and work my nine to five heartily? How do I do it with joy? Well, right off the bat is you need to change your whole motivation for actually working. Mm. And it can't be people giving you a pat on the back. And it can't be that they recognize the hard work that you do yeah. as much as we appreciate those yeah. things. It has to be the reward um, that comes from God. And he says, you know, fear God and don't fear men. You know, what would change in our work if we didn't, if we weren't controlled by what people thought about us? Mm -hmm. If we weren't controlled by what are the repercussions of what I do tomorrow? If I'm faithful and there's a fallout from it, what will what will be the effect for me? You know, what you're afraid of. And that's just a paralyzing way to live. Yes, very. Yeah, extraordinarily yeah. paralyzing, and and which makes work suck, you know, and robs it of its joy. So, because then the the only part of work that can be redeemed is perhaps those few moments when the boss is looking your way, right? Yeah, and the rest of the day is a write off, according to that philosophy. If, yes. if you're just working for man, but if you're working to God, all of it can be redeemed. Yes. And there's no hope that it won't be rewarded. Yeah. And that's the other thing yeah. is, I mean, a big, like, I have a friend uh, in Barbados and, and he, you know, he doesn't have a whole lot of money and he would go on weekends to make some extra cash and he would work for someone. And this guy just straight up didn't pay him. And it's infuriating. And he keeps going back to work because he needs, he needs the money. He doesn't mm -hmm. really have a choice. And, to not be paid, to not be rewarded by others for your work is so discouraging. Right. I mean, imagine you woke up tomorrow and you went and you did a full day's work and you did your best work you could have possibly done and you just don't get paid for it. To someone totally dismisses what you do. Well, a lot of people in the world have that experience for one and mm -hmm. have had that experience. And then Paul is talking to bond servants. So, um, He's saying the way we overcome that disappointment is by not placing our hope ultimately in the reward that people give. Right. It's, it's putting a better foundation for our joy beneath our feet. Mm -hmm. It's so look, every good thing that I do, the Father sees, everything I do for him and for others will receive its reward. You just, you're free from the paralysis of, is this going to work out for me? Mm -hmm. you know and it just will mm -hmm. so i i think yes we can have a joyful nine to five and it means our priorities shifting and our our motivations shifting and us seeing 
ultimately we work for Jesus, for his praise, um, his approval, and his reward. Mm-hmm. So uh, just in the few minutes we have remaining, let, let's try to tackle some practical ways people can uh, at least point their life in this direction. I mean, you can't expect to have a joyful Christian life if, if you're trying to live in a vacuum, mm-hmm. um, you know, if we're not abiding in Christ, if we're not feeding on his words mm-hmm. and, and, but it's, it's difficult when you, you know, perhaps you have kids at home, uh, you've got errands to run at night. It's, it's difficult. So what are some practical ways, uh, busy people can, can maintain, or, or maybe start habits that will help them in this endeavor. Mm-hmm. One person I thought of, I mean, we're all a product of our culture, right? And so when we talk about being busy, that's somewhat of a relative term. I mean, what does it mean to be busy? I remember when I was uh, preaching at a town once, we got invited back to the house of a, a farmer family, a Dutch farmer family. And they, um, I forget how many kids they had, but they had a, decent amount of children like five or six kids and and you know what they did was they had goats and if if you have goats you have to milk them twice a day Mm. and each time they milk them it was a two-hour process wow so you have to milk them in the morning and in the evening and when i was talking to him i don't know i forget the exact conversation but he was just you know kind of expressing um Gently and respectfully, but just uh, he just doesn't understand how people don't make it to whether it's, I think, a Sunday school service mm. they had at 9 or 9.30. Because he's like, well, I, I have children and I have to do two hours of chores every single day before I get to church. And so when people say, you know, we're just busy and we have children, you know, he's he's just kind of like, well, I have everything you have plus two hours and I can still get here. So part of it for us is just there's there's a, there's many of us who need to look at their life and just say, how busy are we? Right. Is it a matter of, of priorities? Yes. Yeah. Is it a matter of priorities or is it a matter of busyness? Right. And there, but there are definitely people, you know, I think about my brother who leaves for work at like three thirty in the morning mm-hmm. or four and gets home at you know, six, seven, sometimes later if he's working and yeah. he's in bed by eight so yeah. he can leave at, wake up at three yeah. and work outside in all weather conditions. And so there are definitely people in that category. Um, I would say first, see if you are too busy. Second, uh, really focus on prioritizing. I'm thinking of Luke 10. I won't read all of it, but uh, Martha and Mary, right? And the Lord Jesus says to Martha, 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 you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mm. Mar- Mary has chosen the good portion. It will not be taken from her. Martha was consumed with good and ne- and things that um, were right to do. It wasn't wrong for her to be concerned about what she was concerned about, but it wasn't the ultimate priority. It wasn't the most important thing. It wasn't absolutely necessary. So if we look at our lives, we need to say, what in my life is absolutely necessary and what isn't? Mm -hmm. And what he says, you know, Jesus is saying, I am necessary. 
you know, I am necessary and, and Mary has chosen to sit with me. Mm-hmm. And I think as Christians, we need to say, you know, how am I getting what is necessary in my life? I think just as an aside, at least in my generation, there's kind of the expectation that we should be able to do it all. Like we should be able to have our weekends totally free. We should be able to um, be involved in sports and music lessons and extracurriculars. We should be able to still hang out with all of our friends. It's right. like, well, who said that? Yeah. And and are those things all necessary? And what right. tends to happen is people drop what is necessary. You know, the Bible says don't neglect meeting together, right. as some have done. Encourage one another daily. So you're not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What is necessary in the life of a Christian is regularly sitting at the feet of Jesus through the word of God and prayer, is meeting with other Christians weekly in corporate worship, is seeking as much as you are able to encourage one another daily. Um, These are necessary things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then working back from there, okay, on top of that, you know, what am I able to do? Just close that segment thinking about Luther. I think it's Luther who's saying, you know, I'm too busy not to pray. Yes. Yeah. And, and kind of when we say we're too busy, we're kind of saying these things are more important. Right. And, and what he's saying is I've got so much on my plate that if I don't do what's necessary, namely bring it before the Lord, bring my anxieties to him, um, I just won't survive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, Hopefully we will get to book reviews at some point uh, on these podcasts, but but just uh, something I've found helpful uh, in in my work in the past. Uh, Spurgeon's Morning and Evening is a great mm-hmm. little book. Um, it takes you all of four or five minutes. He'll take a, a text of scripture and and talk about it for a little bit and and make some personal applications and and usually point you to the cross and and. Most times, it's it's just a very nourishing time uh, in the Word, um, and and you know just ten minutes of prayer. Sometimes I think we overcomplicate things, and we think we have to have this elaborate scheme laid out where you do this and this and this, and if you don't do all these things, and you haven't done your devotions, mm-hmm. um, God is God is gracious. Uh, God knows that we are creatures of dust. He knows that we are fallible people, and you know, even if it's just a text, even if it's just a verse, uh, uh, taking it with you throughout the day, thinking mm-hmm. about it throughout the day, um, applying it to your work. Uh, God's word is is practical uh, in all spheres of life, mm-hmm. and um, and 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 no one should ever feel, no matter if if you perhaps need to reprioritize or if you really are uh, so busy. Um, uh, to feed on the word of God. It, it mm-hmm. really is our life. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything, other closing comments before we... Well, I just, I just when you're saying that, thought of the example of my brother, and it's a great example because he definitely would fall into the category of busy. Yes. And it's not a matter of priorities right. and it's just straight busy. Yeah. Um, I've been so encouraged because he has a Christian co-worker who I think most days, I think every day, and I think before work, they call each other and they pray together. Mm-hmm. And I know that he's been working through um, sermons. Like, I think he said he's listened to almost all of Matt Chandler's sermons. And he he reads scripture every day. And mm-hmm. he's driving for work a lot of it so he can listen to it on mm-hmm. 
the radio. So being flexible, yeah. you know, it might not work. If you have young kids, good luck getting up earlier than them, mm. you know, but, but, um, finding some way to prioritize that moments day. throughout the day. Yeah. 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 No, thanks, Alan. I think we'll, we'll tie it off there. We hope this has been a helpful time for those listening. Again, uh, you can go on our website, thegatheringptbo.ca, um, and uh, feel free to send us any questions, any comments, any subjects you'd, you'd like us to discuss. Um, and I think we will sign out until next time. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.